Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Awakening Bodies podcast. This podcast is such a special one because we had the honor to really interview and get to know on a deeper level someone who we look up to in the spiritual context and in the yoga space. Her name is Carissa and she is a devoted yoga teacher here in South Florida at Atta. And she's someone who we really respect and look up to because she has such a kind heart and she's so devoted to the knowledge of yoga and also living in the principles. So during this conversation, we dive deep into yoga itself as well as contentedness. And it's just such a juicy conversation. So we hope you enjoy this episode. And in the beginning, we actually do a little bit of a grounding exercise where we participate in this modality called Bee's Breath. And so that's what you're going to hear in the beginning of the episode. And we also go over it a little bit more in detail. So enjoy the episode and we'll see you in there. Should we do three rounds of Bee's Breath? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so inhale. It's like a different level of intimacy doing something like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It feels like creating a sense of connectedness and... I almost feel like as we're doing something like that, especially in a communal group that understands the intentionality of it. Yeah. Just like yeah. augmented. Uh, yeah. Augmented. So what is what we just did? So B's breath um, is, in my opinion, a massage for the brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And I think it helps to relax the jaw. Um, it's meditative and not you're focusing on creating a specific sound. Mm. Um, and I also think it kind of channels that creative energy of the bee. You know, mm-hmm. these bees symbolize creativity and birth and a blossoming of energy. So I'm so grateful to have you in our home. And by the way, we're obviously live. <laughs> we are recording now. <laughs> so we got the bees breath recorded that's awesome somebody can take that practice on and for all we know unless they're driving or at home whatever they're doing yeah so thank you for leading that and i'm so grateful to have your energy imbuing this this home our space it's a lot of intention to our home and as we're building awakening bodies one of the key things we want to do is create deeper relationships foster relationships with people that are meaningful to us and you're one of those people thank you i appreciate that and you two are also that for me and I'm very grateful that you provided this space for us to get together and to really harness um, what it is that we have inside of us to share yeah. with the world. Man, you got so much to share. Some of your classes, man, some of the things you say as I'm in there, I'm like, yes, boof. So you're dropping nuggets that are making a massive influence in my psyche, my, my psychology, my spiritual growth. So there's so much to share. And thank you for your practice because for you to show up who you show up as in class in a room, I mean, how, how hot is, it, is a room sometimes? What's the hottest you've ever done yoga in? So I've definitely done some really hot yoga. Yeah. Um, 26 and 2 is known for its excruciating heat, um, which can reach temperatures up to 108. Wow. So um, you get, you gain kind of like 
a more comfortability with that heat over time. Sure. Um, but I would say generally on a day-to-day practice, it's anywhere between 95 and 98 degrees in the hot room. Uh, yeah. uh, so for you to be leading the class and just mind you for anyone that's ever been to one of Carissa's class, there's an average of 12 to 20 people there consistently, mm-hmm. which has been so cool to see. More. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more. I know. <laughs> yeah, actually, you definitely do the number better. What is the average? Do you know? No, I don't know for your facts. <laughs> I definitely see it. I found it's, I see it, and it, I coming from business, the marketplace always tells you what it wants. And I remember when you first started teaching consistently. It literally took one week when it was, at, I think it was like 10 people, and then consistently every time I started going, more and more people showed up. Yeah. So you're leading a class, let's just say 25, because I think it is more than 20 people. So I say 25 in a room, 95, 98 degrees, how do you do it? Go through this strenuous physical activity as you're leading, communicating, breathing, holding that space. I really just take time in the mornings to ground my own energy um, and set an intention for myself for that day. And um, I really try to connect with my own breath, my own movements and reading the room so I can be aware of what everyone else is doing and kind of take that into consideration throughout the practice. Um, And just throughout the day, making sure that I'm taking care of myself so that I have that energy to give to the people in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I'm not balanced, then I don't foresee the energy that I'm putting out to be received in a balanced way. So um, just conserving my own energies throughout the day. And as a student, I can see that. I can see when a, when a teacher is in integrity with their practice. And you're one of them. I mean, I think everybody at Ata is in integrity with their practice. I don't think they would be able to be at Ata if they, <laughs> by the energy that's in that room. I don't know if they'd be able to. But I, I've been in classes where someone's leading a class and it doesn't doesn't feel like, it feels like something's out of, out of whack. Heck. It's like something, there's like, there's something in the puzzle that's not fitting properly. So thank you, because again, it goes to show the consistency you put into your own time to be able to support people like me, who I do look forward to my Monday, Wednesday, and Friday classes. Like, it's a it's a way that, for me, gets me really going, dialed up, release a lot. I've cried in one of your classes before, <laughs> which is super, yeah, it's beautiful. It's like, this is what it's all about. And that's what keeps me going, is just seeing that what I'm doing is making a difference in someone else's life um, by seeing their commitment to their practice. So mm-hmm. one of the most important things I think is that even when we start to teach, which I do think we're all teachers at different times and we're mm-hmm. students at different times and we interchange those roles, is that we're always practicing and we're always studying and we're always learning. Um, and I think that that's where our character is built and our integrity. And when we're able to experience that, we're comfortable in our own skin. So when we show up, we're showing up authentically as ourselves and we're being able to transfer that into the class. Authenticity. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I know we mentioned this before the podcast, but I'm super excited to be having this conversation because I look up to you in so many different ways, especially when it comes to yoga and the words that you speak, they just resonate so deeply with me. And even since like the first time I walked in your class, I was like, yes, like, you know, like again, like what Sebastian was saying, the integrity of the practice is just there and you can tell. And I want to, it's beautiful to be having this conversation because I only know you as that. I don't even really know your journey to where you got to where you are now. So for the people who are listening, would you mind just sharing a little bit of a background and how you got into yoga and kind of what your journey was to find yoga? Sure. So when I was around 16, 17 years old, 
um, I just randomly decided I was going to take a hot yoga class. And it was this little carpeted, stinky <laughs> Bikram studio in Coral Springs. Um, and I went and then I started going every day and I was quickly like hooked, you know, mm. for lack of better words. Um, I was going every day and I really loved the teacher. Um, and I practiced, I think, for close to two years consistently. And just the 26 and 2 flow um, at least five or six times a week. Mm. Um, and I progressed really quickly and I loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, I didn't know much about the philosophy of the spirituality at that time. It was really just a physical practice for me. I didn't realize what we were doing. And I think even when we don't know that there's so much more, it's our bodies and our hearts and they know that it is more, you know, so we're still yeah. getting those downloads and we're still experiencing those other benefits without even being conscious of it. Um, and so after about close to two years, the studio owner decided to sell and move back to New York for whatever reason. And I tried a couple other studios um, shortly after that. And I just, I think at that point in my life, I was still very much like black and white with things. Like I was all or nothing thinking. And it wasn't him and it wasn't that studio and it wasn't the yoga I was used to. And I just stopped doing yoga. Um, and so I, I didn't do yoga for, I think, at least over 10 years. Oh, maybe more. Yeah. Um, and I did other things that I would consider to be yoga now that I know what yoga actually is, that it's not just a physical practice, you know, it's self-study, it's, um, it's reading scriptures, it's having connections with other people, it's building awareness, and you can walk and have that breath, movement, gaze, synchronicity, and be able to, you know, obtain that sense or state of yoga. Um, but I didn't do the actual physical practice for over a decade. And then um, after COVID, or right towards the end of COVID, um, when studios and, and gyms started opening back up, my gym that I was going to was still closed. And my sister was like, why don't you come to yoga? And I think I had gone like once or twice over the years with her to the old Anatara location in Deerfield, but like it was like random and I went and that was it. Um, and then she's like, okay, come. And I was like, okay. So I started coming and I took Frankie's class and, um, and that was it. I just kept going every day after that. So I think my heart just like, was like, oh, I'm back, you know, it's back, you know? And I just dove right back in. And within a couple months, um, Frankie suggested that I do the teacher training. So I did mm -hmm. the teacher training with Philip, the Hatha training in October. Um, and this of, is all recent. Of 2020, yeah. Wow. wow. And um, within a couple months, I think a month or two after I completed the Hatha training, I started teaching. Um, and then just after that, back to back, I was doing trainings and workshops and continuing to practice throughout the whole time. So I would say I've been back into yoga close to three years now. So in October, it'll be three years. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I'm just genuinely blown away because... From your classes, I just feel like you've been teaching for so much longer than that. <laughs> so one of um, one of my teachers said, and I, this really sticks with me, as I said, that if you've done yoga in this life, you've done yoga in all your lives. So we're kind of just like making our way back. And that's not my words, but I think, you know, it is for, it's for all of us. So um, I really resonate with that. And I think that um, I find that to be true. You know, we're just making our way back. So... And that resonates with me because it makes you think of the contemplative aspect of it. There's all there's that mystical side, yeah, that I think moves with us, whatever timeline we're in. Now, just really quick, you just shared a lot, but you, you say that class was carpeted, hot yoga carpet. Oh, yeah, carpeted, <laughs> stinky, wet, nasty, like just fucking <laughs> dust to the wall, like 
<laughs> you know. I was thinking white carpet, Florida. But there's this yes, like, hardcore like aspect to that. Like it's like we're all just here to get it in. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um. So like no judgments, you know. But now looking back, I'm like it's so much nicer to not have a carpet. And so cool. And on a more serious note, with what you were just sharing, so you started to talk about there's different levels to yoga that you can do outside of a yoga studio. Mm-hmm. For those listening that have no idea about that, would you care to share uh, maybe all of them? Because there's eight limbs that make up the actual practice of sure. yoga. Sure. So um, the eight limb path of Ashtanga yoga is um, yoga's philosophical or spiritual path on how to obtain liberation or how to practice towards liberation, which is Kaivalya. Um, and the eight limbs are the yamas and niyamas, which are morals and ethics as a yogi. It's kind of like the criteria of a yogi. You know? um, it's been, you know, compared to um, the thousand thou shall nots that you find in other, you know, religions, which yoga is not a religion. Um, it's a philosophical and spiritual um, path. So it kind of helps you on the path that you're already on. Kind of giving you a little bit of a push, yeah, um, or a little bit more direction. Or if you feel like you're you've come out of a place where you're in alignment, then it helps you to get back onto that place. Um, so you have the yamas and niyamas. Um, so that's practicing, you know, every day just to be a better person, to be in alignment with what your real morals are and your values are. Um, then we have the asana practice, which is the physical practice of hatha yoga. Um, and then we have pranayama, which is breath work or breath control, yeah. which is to help us gain mastery over the mind mm-hmm. um, and to, you know, just find that state of peace and contentedness with, you know, how we're feeling because the breath ultimately sends messages to the body that tell you, okay, am I relaxed right now or am I restless? Am I anxious? Yeah. Um, we have pratyahara, which is sensory withdrawal, which that in itself can be, in my opinion, um, translated in many different ways it can literally mean to close your eyes turn all the music off you know put your phone away and just kind of sit minimizing your your ability to have sense perception um kind of like a deprivation tank if you want to say um but it also means that we're practicing non-attachment to everything that we can touch taste see hear smell Mm. Um, actively on a daily basis. So not literally just that I'm going to close my eyes and put ear, you know, plugs in, but also that I'm constantly practicing non-attachment to all of these things in the exterior world. Um, so we have yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, and then we have dharana, which is um, concentration or focus. So that can be literally two as well. If I'm going to sit down and look at a, a slow moving flicker of a flame and just focus only on that. Um, or also it could just be, you know, in its totality of just having a focus, having something I'm concentrating on, having something that I'm working towards. Um, and then we have dhyana, which is meditation. So when you link all of these things, breath, movement, gaze, concentration, um, you come into a meditative state. And on the mat, that's literally, so the Hatha yoga practice teaches us breath, movement, and gaze will, will bring us into a meditative state. When we're off the mat, any time that we're in that state of where we're focused on the breath, we're conscious, we're aware, we're moving, you know, systematically um, and with intention that we can find that meditative state. And then the hopes is that we reach the eighth limb, which is samadhi. And um, it's a glimpse at that blissful state or an absorption into the blissful state um 
mm. where we are withdrawn from all of these exterior stimuli or forces and we're at peace and ease and we found a sense of contentment with the moment and what we're doing and who we are and where we're going and mm. all of those things. So would you say that last stage is kind of like where so many of us like are striving towards that sense of enlightenment? Like would that be like roped into the same context? Yeah, uh, definitely. I have this um, thing with the word enlightenment. <laughs> I, know. I go back and forth with it. Um, if you break down the word like enlightenment, so I feel like it's it's kind of like pushing us to look at that the light is already in us. Um, and like, what does that light mean? You know, but I also look at it in a way that it it makes someone or may feel someone, makes someone feel like, they're lacking something like they need to come into a place that's other than where they are now like this higher level or this higher existence or this um place that's beyond where they are now and um what I've come to find on my journey and just throughout my life is that we're not becoming someone else and we're not obtaining things that we don't already have we're kind of recognizing or realizing that we are already are that person um I share this a lot in class just that I remember some of the few questions from my childhood, like the first questions I remember being asked from my parents or my aunts or my uncles, it was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. You know, or what are you going to do when you grow up? And it was like that programming started so young that it's like, it's not okay to be here right now. Yeah. Like what, what do I, why do I need to be doing something else? Or what do you mean? What am I going to be? Like, is this something other than what I am now? Like, what do I have to accomplish? What do I have to achieve to satisfy or to reach that quote unquote state of like, enlightenment yeah or you know what is it that I have to do you know and I think that just generates this already place of lack mm. you know for me anyways you know I relate with that because I mean if you're trying to get somewhere by this essence of trying to get somewhere says you're not there however where are we trying to get to right remember there was there was I went through a personal development course that really challenged every single one of my foundations and one of them was where are you trying to get because when you get there will you know or will you then have somewhere else to go so instead of trying to get somewhere, what if what would happen if now is the only moment that existed and then from here you could then continue moving forward, realizing that the past five seconds are no longer here and the next five seconds are not here yet, just now, which is so easy to talk about. It's the presence. And I'll say with what you were pointing before, breath, moving, gaze, I've, I've now in my day-to-day -day life when I'm having a call with a client, with a, uh, with a tech coach, today actually had a client with one of my coaches. And he was really rattling my cages, asking me some questions, making me really uncomfortable. But I was able to be in the conversation. I can attest to being in, let's say, half moon, upside down, 30 minutes into a, into a practice and being able to breathe. To be able to bring that sense of presence into a conversation that would normally shut me off. Years ago, I used to stutter like crazy. I think part of it was because I was so quick to try to get out of the moment that I I would just go on overdrive. Tripping over your own tongue. L literally tripping over my own tongue. I used to stutter saying coconut. And it was insane. <laughs> 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 I kid you not. I'm sure it's there for those days. I wish I was sure there too. <laughs> but the practice of yoga, I I've seen it be a massive support to that. Mm -hmm. Which, you mentioned something earlier, contentedness. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to get somewhere. Yeah. For you, contentedness, what does contentedness mean? So contentedness for me is the aim of the practice. So when I hear the word liberation, the first thing that I think of is, okay, well, what does it mean to be liberated? Mm. Huh. Um, and again, I think sometimes, you know, the misconception is, is that there's this 
grandiose thing that we have to do or achieve to feel that sense of, you know, liberation. And for me, it's this exact opposite. So like you were saying about being in the present moment versus feeling like there's something I have to do or something I'm chasing. And I think that that's, um, you know, the exact opposite of what we should be doing. So we shouldn't be chasing anything. There's nothing that we have to obtain or attain or uh, achieve or this great task that we have to complete. Um, I think that simply existing is where that liberation is and it's having contentedness in that. So one of the almas and the almas um, is santosha, which um, translated means like, so sam means completely or entirely. Mm. Um, and tosha is acceptance or contentedness. So it means complete or entire, entirely accepted or contented. Um, and for me, that's being able to find that sense of sat satisfaction or relief or ease with having less. So it's not about this cycle of like desire and acquire and desire and acquire. Um, it's withdrawing from all of it mm -hmm. and feeling whole and complete with very little. So just like anything else, um, we build a tolerance to things, right? So the more extreme that we need to, to be or the more extreme activities we need to partake in to get that adrenaline going or to get those, uh, that dopamine going, you know, it, it we're going to require more and more. So we build a tolerance to it to where we require more to get that same release or that same relief. Um, and the same thing is with happiness and feeling fulfilled, right? It's just never enough. It's like, I need to have this. I need to do that. I need to look like that. I need to be that. And it's just temporarily filling this void where when it's no longer there, and we know that life is full of um, curveballs and that things change constantly, everything is temporary and impermanent, we're left with that same void. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what do I need now to fill that? And it's just never enough. So um, simplifying and withdrawing from all these things that we thought or we have identified with what makes us happy and being able to find that sense of ease and contentedness with less and requiring less stimulus and requiring less, you know, things to make us feel whole. Yeah. You know? I resonate so deeply with that because I remember it was such a goal of ours to move to Florida. Like previously before COVID, we like looked at apartments, we found this place and then COVID happened and then our wedding got pushed and it was like all these things. It was like building up to this moment to finally move here. And I remember like we moved we had like months where we were building our furniture and it was like so much fun. And then at the end when we were finally settled, it was like, okay, like, now what? well, yeah, now what? Like what else? And I felt myself being in such just like, I don't even know the word for it, maybe nostalgic, like this feeling of like, have I been chasing this? And like, I don't, like it was me first, like recognizing that I was chasing something but I know intellectually that I no longer want to chase anything. So I'm in this space of just like nothingness and it felt uncomfortable, but it felt good at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting space to navigate. Mm -hmm. Like we can know these things intellectually, but when we're living it. True. Then oh yeah. So the mind is very tricky in that way. Um, and they have a term in the practice, which is called vikalpa, which is mind tricks. It's one of the um, vrittis, so the mental modifications. Mm -hmm. 
And it's that the ego is very clever. And it's we can have all this intellectual knowledge and wisdom, right? But it's like in the midst of it, the mind is so clever that mm. we don't even realize it. And it makes us think that it's protecting us, but really it's kind of playing tricks on us to make us feel safe in the moment or make us feel secure in the moment. But what it's really doing is just prolonging the inevitable. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that comes into play with kind of what we're talking about already. So it's like when we're not in a state of contentedness and contentedness um, or what sadhana santosha is the practice of contentedness. So it's not, again, this attainment or this like space you meet where you're like, okay, I'm here, I made it, I'm content now. <laughs> right? Like it's like, it's a moving, breathing thing and it's happening all the time. You know, it's a practice of contentedness. But, um, you know, those likes and dislikes that we can develop over time, um, which kind of live, in my opinion, in the sacral, you know, chakra. So that desiring part of like, I need this, I want that, I'll be happy when I do this, you know, I like that, I don't like that, kind of keep us in that cycle of like not being content, right? Um, because we create this whole reality of like, I'm happy when things are like this and I'm not happy when things are like that. And um, the mind will make you think that, okay, I'm avoiding this because it makes me unhappy and that's going to make me happy, mm. right? But we're kind of just prolonging the inevitable and like universally, whatever we're resisting is persisting. So mm. it's like when you try to avoid someone and then you see them everywhere, yeah. yeah, you know, and kind of just going back to what you were saying about, um, um, you were saying something that I wanted to touch on, um, Oh, about rushing to get somewhere yeah. or trying to like get somewhere quickly. Um, I use this analogy, which I think is hilarious because it's happened to me. And it's like when you're rushing to get to like a doctor's appointment or something and then you get there and it was like on a different day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like, what are we rushing towards? Like what are we so urgently trying to get to? Because it may not be there when we get there, you know, or the circumstances may change when we get there. And it's like we did all this and created this all these emotions of like urgency and like haste makes waste you know and then we get there and it's like now what mm. you know what just got brought up real quick was when we were almost like super close to missing our flight so we were like rushing to get there and our good friend megan was like god doesn't like a hurried spirit or something along those lines and i was like wow interesting because it's like it just put it into a different perspective for me of like whatever I'm going to embody and believe in and, and really engulf myself in that energy, that's what I'm going to get at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Like how could even those moments of where I am being crunched for time still be in that space of like presence mm -hmm. here and now? Mm -hmm. Like it's like when you're trying to go somewhere and you hit every red light because you're in a rush to get there. Yeah. Just like a cosmic yep. like laughter at that point. Yes, I should. That's, in my opinion, the practice of being present enough to be able to laugh at, oh, wow, look at this. I'm getting every single red light and I'm trying to rush. Time is such an interesting conversation for me because it runs the world, yet it's not existent. So it's like, how, how can we, how can we, instead of have this thing run us, how can we use it as a tool that has the potential to be? Yeah. Which is a big conversation. Yoga, I think that it allows me to be present in the now, which ultimately is always now. So there is no time outside of right here, right now. <laughs> yes. And time. So you guys have probably heard of people say like time is an illusion. Mm -hmm. So it's like not that time doesn't really exist because like the clock is ticking. Right. So we only live for so long in this life. Right. In this body and this mind. But what I get from that is just that it's our perception of time mm -hmm. that can be illusionary. So it's like 
our perception or how I've been, it's been explained to me is that your perception of, of a period of time is based on the average person's perception of that same period of time. So we're all connected in this collective consciousness, right? So we're in a group and we're in class, right? Say it's a Raja class, right? Which is the perfect example, in my opinion, of finding contentedness and, and divine surrender. Um, and just should, real quick before you go further, yeah. can you just explain for those who are listening who don't know what Raja Yoga is and that practices so they can get the context? Yeah. So Raja Yoga is a meditative practice. Um, it can also be translated as royal yoga. Um, and it's basically using the mind to transcend the mind. So there's different practices of yoga. There's Raja Yoga, there's Jnana Yoga, there's Hatha Yoga, there's Karma Yoga, there's Bhakti Yoga. Um, and it's different ways to work towards liberation. So um, Raja Yoga is the study of philosophical and spiritual texts most specifically, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, um, which is based on the eight limbs of Ashtanga Yoga. Um, so kind of a little bit of what we've already touched on. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of understanding the mind and how it works and then using that knowledge to transcend the mind. So it, it looks at the mind as being kind of like our karma or those mental modifications that we go through as being an obstacle on the path towards liberation. And it's kind of like the systematic breakdown of how to work through that, how to understand and then use it as a tool to get closer towards becoming. And typically during this class, it's more of like, not like your fast paced vinyasa, right? So it's the complete opposite of a vinyasa. So in a vinyasa or a hatha class, we use force, we use engagement, we're moving quickly. Um, in my mind, have you ever heard, what's that song that's like some dance to remember, some dance to forget? Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, although vinyasa has been said to be the most devotional type of practice, I kind of, in a funny way, I kind of look at it like when I'm doing vinyasa, I'm, I'm dancing to forget, okay. right? <laughs> because you're moving so quickly and you're really in that yeah. breath movement and gaze and like you're kind of just like feeling good and you're moving energy around and it's fun and it's, you know, your heart is light and you feel uplifted and... Um, I mean, still remembering why you're there and what we're doing. It's not just a physical practice in any way, shape, or form, but it's kind of more of like a dance-like mm. um, flow where Raja Yoga is like we're dancing to remember, you know? And it's like sometimes those memories are not what we want to think about, mm. right? Because they can be, you know, traumatic or they can be emotional or they can be, you know, yeah. sometimes challenging to look at. So you're moving so slowly, and this is my perfect example of like how, how to experience contentedness or how to test yourself to see like, am I content right now? Am I okay? Can I be here and sit with myself in my own skin and move so slowly and be withdrawn from all of those senses mm. and have very minimal distractions and very little stimuli and just be with myself and my own thoughts? And what does that look like? How does that feel? What are the nature of my thoughts? You know, um, are they harmful? Are they helpful? Uh, what am I, what am I, you know, sending out into the universe? Like, what am I, you know, manifesting right now with my thoughts? And how is that affecting my body? Can I relax? Can I breathe? Can I put my body in this uncomfortable position and kind of use my breath to self-soothe and, and be okay right now in this moment and not thinking about what I have to do when I leave, not thinking about what happened on the car ride on the way here, like just be here right now despite the uncomfortability and use the mind to transcend all of those things mm. that are coming up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it 
makes me like laugh because when I first started this practice, specifically here at Atta, it's such an intense practice for me personally, especially being in the heat and I, and dealing with the challenges that I've had over the past two years within my body. It has brought so much up during class where I was like, I can't do this. Like, like literally my thoughts would become so overwhelming that I was like, I need to run out this boring apple. And it wasn't until a lot of conversations with you and then going to the teacher training to like make me actually realize like, no, this is part of the practice. practice. Like I've been like running away because I'm comparing myself back to when I was in the best shape and didn't have the health issues that I've been having. But it's like, no, this is where I'm meant to be right now. And I think that happens a lot. Like I tell people, I'm like, if this class was really hard for you, you know, Raja, I'm like, you need to come back. That means I need more Raja because that's the whole point, right? It's supposed to be challenging, but in a totally different way. It's like, yeah, we can move fast and we can use force and we can, you know, measle our way out of things and use control and manipulation to kind of like make the situation more like how we like it. But in a Raja class, like there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. Like you're there. And gravity is just, it's forcing you to just kind of sit there and be with yourself and your body. But I do want to just take the opportunity really quick not to get off topic, but just to thank you because a lot of the stuff that you share really resonates with me too, you know? And I think that the mind kind of like, you know, plays tricks on us with that stuff too, like you were saying about, you know, body body image and like, oh, for sure, just feeling discontent with like where, you know, I am because I can definitely relate. And, um, you know, that how the mind will tell you like, oh, I'm going to do that when I do that or I'll feel better when I'm like that because I've been 10, 15 pounds lighter than I am now and like honestly not any more content than mm-hmm. I am now. You know what I mean? And not to go on the other end of the extreme. Like one thing you shared one time really resonated with me. It was like not to be on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, okay, well then screw it. I'm just going to do what I (laughs) can. Because I can go there too, you know, do whatever I want and just screw it because I'm not happy either way. Like that's not good either, you know? Yeah, it's finding that balance. And I think our bodies are such a huge gateway into the sense of like, who we really are and who we're really not Mm -hmm. and you know I've had so many clients who even just go through so many different surgeries to try to modify their bodies to be a certain way and even when they get there they might lose a hundred pounds but I remember my my, my one client she went through this very intense surgery and she was like the doctor didn't tell me that this wouldn't change my happiness Mm. and like it broke my heart a little heart a little bit because it's like where you're at right now is like that's the most beautiful place you can be Mm -hmm. and like to go back to the main topic like why are we trying to chase something outside of the current moment Mm -hmm. there could be a difference where you want to transform your body because like you just you believe you deserve a better health for yourself Mm -hmm. but do it for the right reason yes so thank you for that yeah and I think it just goes back to that over identifying with what society says is, you know, the picture perfect lifestyle and occupation and, you know, significant other and, you know, body image and all that. And it's like we over identify with that to give us a sense of meaning and fulfillment. And then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. I'm just here admiring both of you guys to be in the presence of two queens having big conversations (laughs) like this is awesome. So good. Yeah. It's so powerful because look, as for me, as a, as a, I'm five foot five for a long time, there was a lot of anger towards myself as to why I'm so short. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do some deep work on that. But I realized that 
at the end of the day, there's nothing but me that's here in regards to my existence. Like there's going to be no other Sebastian Yepes with my fingerprints. Yeah. And when it comes to, to yoga, it's the realization back to the, the, the main topic, which is not trying to run away from here. You talk about Raja. If to your point, someone goes to a class and they feel all these things come up, that's what the body has the ability to release. And we talk about the science of yoga. Again, it's not a religion. There's a science to it. Yes. The science of yoga, the body is the access to the temple, like one we're just pointing to. Mm -hmm. There's a phenomenal book on this one simple thing where he breaks down from, from, it, from a scientific perspective how the simple thing of breathing and gaze has a massive impact on our well-being. Mm -hmm. He then brings in the body and how so much emotion stored in the body. If we can really tap into the body, if we can really step into it, not trying to run away from it, not fragment ourselves from it, we can actually step into a full sense of presence, wholeness, a place where we can actually show up to everybody that we're with in a place of us, mm -hmm. truly, who we are, not who we think we should be, not who society tells us to be, no, us, which in the Western world, I think is lost. There's a lot of people right now that are just out there, and I'll, I'll say it for myself, maybe seven, eight years ago, find myself in a place where I thought I had everything I wanted, yet com felt completely empty. And it wasn't because I did something wrong. No, I just assigned somebody else's success to me, and I did it, and I was like, whoa, this is not me. What is this? Then who am I? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But even it like with that in the Western world again today, I think that it's a huge opportunity for us to upgrade. Yeah. It's really interesting how you go to a place like India. I've never been, but I've done a lot of research and I, see, I, I spoke to a lot of people that have gone. A place where there's so much poverty, yeah, there's so much joy. Mm -hmm. A yep. place where there's so much, so much connection to one another and to a higher source. Like, what's going on there? Yeah. So we require, like, very little to survive. Mm. Mm. Really. All these other things are, like, luxuries. You know, and we not we we may not exist in a world right now where we can like move into the mountains and just meditate all day long. Like we're considered to be housemakers, mm -hmm. so we have to contribute to society on some level. We have to perform our duties as a human to some degree. Um, but again, it's just being aware of and practicing that non-attachment to those things. Right? Can I enjoy this pleasure without over-identifying with it and feeling like I need it in order to feel a certain way or to feel accepted or feel fulfilled you know um yeah so and and you know for me when I first started practicing Raj I was going to say this to in response to what you shared about how you wanted to run out of the room I had a really hard time closing my eyes mm. and I remember the teacher just being like close your eyes you know close your eyes and like I just felt like I was gonna miss something you know and and what I relate that to is just like how in my past years like when I was younger I still like to think I'm young, but you know, that I had to, I felt like I had to be doing something. I had to be busy. I had to be with people, you know, doing something to feel like I was like important or like I was like, you know, doing something that was worthwhile. And now I look at it like, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. It's not complacency. I don't want anybody to think that contentedness is complacency because it's not. But being content where we are right. and not having to like, you know, yeah. so overstimulated and yeah. so busy that we're just passing everything by, you know. Which is such a key distinction for you to, to for, for us to really, not even dive into, but just to re, yeah, re-acknowledge. There's, there's nothing wrong if you want to be in a place where you're not doing anything. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I think a lot of people get caught up in doing, 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 doing. And again, I, I put myself there, being in sales. Burnout. Um, completely. 
while you're doing, 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 I put myself in a hamster wheel. The hamster wheel may have gotten upgraded. Maybe a little boom box and maybe some spinners on me, the wheel itself. Maybe I even had some bling on me. But it was still a rat wheel. So what's the point? Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between doing something in the sense of like self-expression than doing something because you need to prove yourself to something. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this, the Western culture right now, for the majority, not everybody, is trying to prove a point. Yeah. And that... In How place, much can I do? How right? much can I obtain? How can I show for myself that I'm actually like somebody? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you already are somebody. Yeah. Something that I got from teacher training that really has stuck with me was, I believe it was Mona from and she talked about how we always are feeding our imbalances. And I realized this for myself was because when I'm in that place of like, I have time on my hands, I'm like, okay, how can I fill up this time? And it might even be like an intense workout or but it's like me adding more to my imbalance already. It's like, maybe I actually need to sit and do nothing. Like maybe I need to actually just go to a Raja class, even though I'm not really feeling pulled to it, but maybe it's what I actually need. Right. And it's like that that realization that the, the cave that we fear to enter has a treasure we wish to hold. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how can we continue to move in that, that understanding? And even though it might be scary at times, but just to trust that it's going to be okay. Because eventually it's like the Wizard of Oz at the end when they pull the curtain back and they're expecting this mischievous wizard and it's just all the crinkly man. It's like that that thing that we're so afraid of is typically not that big of a deal. We add so much more power the to case it. Belt, yeah. Yeah. We it, give it power. So much power because the more that we resist it, the more it remains alive. Yeah. It's like Chinese finger locks. What's the only way to take them out? You, you don't pull apart. No, you push together and then it just unlocks. Yeah. So for me, I mean, to your point with, with that sense of... of Step into that place of fear mm-hmm. and understand to the Ritis, to the mind, these, these vacillations, these these noises, that mind is doing the best it's going to protect you and serve you in, in existence and survival. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. It's not there to thrive. That's not the mind's natural biological standpoint. It's how do I keep this body alive? Mm-hmm. That fear is a beautiful thing because it's actually pointing to a thing that's outside of your comfort zone, which in that ex- just shows that there's growth beyond it. Now, that's not to say go on top of a building and jump off because you're not afraid. Right. There's obviously a sense of... <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's calculated risk to take. Yeah. Whether there's fear present and it's consistently in one area, is that thing in some sort of way represented somewhere else? Because more than likely it is. So it'll keep showing up. And correct. Yeah. And if you take care of it in one area, it'll probably also translate everywhere else. For sure. So with yoga, where do you see yoga... In if let's say we have a community of people who've never practiced yoga before and they started to practice yoga, what would be a, a good beginning standpoint and what could people expect from the practice? And even the word expect is like <laughs> Um I would say to just dive in and just be open and willing to try something new and anything that you feel resistant to be aware of that there's something there you know that maybe you need to explore um and to just be humble and be willing to take advice from people who maybe have been through something similar you know um i would say that yoga is 
completely integrative and it's healing on all levels. You know, it's personal, it's social, um, it's biological, it's like, you know, emotional, it's mental, it's um, physical, it's all those things in one, you know, and um, I think everybody should do yoga. <laughs> in some way, you know, and if that, if that practice is doing breath work, you know, for 10, 15 minutes and then just sitting still for another five, 10 minutes and just observing the thoughts and seeing like what comes up, what bubbles up and just gaining an awareness to that in itself. I think that for us to just be as, as a world, for us to just become aware of our thinking, mm. I feel like is like we're headed in the right direction because, you know, our thoughts ultimately, you know, affect our feelings and our feelings affect how we behave and our behaviors affect karmically like what we're putting into the world and what we're going to receive back and those experiences um then affect our next life mm -hmm. you know so i mean those are my beliefs anyways mm -hmm. um you know i don't i don't i don't subscribe to the thought that like this is our one life and that's it and like when we die it just turns black and we just nothing happens it's nothing like i feel like all of this is not for nothing you know, and I do believe that we transfer on to a next level of whether it's consciousness, existence. I don't know what it is. You know, I can't pretend to know what it is. I think that one of the main obstacles of knowledge is knowledge itself. When we think that we know something, then we know nothing. Yeah. Um, like you can't fill a cup that's already full. So I don't pretend to know what that is. But I know that this isn't just all for nothing, like just to live this one life and just that's it. So mm -hmm. I think it all starts with our thoughts. And I think if we can just become aware of how we think and how we feel and to slow down enough to be present in that, um, that people would experience much healing in their lives. But, um, you yeah. know, the change, I think, is the easier part. It's the becoming aware of. Mm. Like, I think people think mm. that change is hard, but it's really not because change is happening all the time. It's, mm. it's not like up to us like to decide, you know, it's happening all the time. But it's like becoming aware of what needs to change, I think, is the obstacle because the ego will just blind us from that. It wants us to be the same so that we're comfortable mm. and everyone wants to be comfortable. And I think yoga makes you uncomfortable. Uh, I read this really great quote by Baron Baptiste, who used to teach power yoga. Um, he does a lot more like podcasts and, you know, that type of stuff now. I don't know that if he's still teaching or not, but um, it was like yoga is comforting for the disturbed and it disturbs the comfortable so it's for everybody it's for everyone it's whether you're comfortable or you're disturbed yoga will help you <laughs> you know um and i love how you broke that in the beginning again it's not just the physical practice either there's so many other ways to practice yoga mm -hmm. yeah i mean like bhakti for example which is chanting i love it uh, me too because like when we're worshiping at church we're Singing, literally practicing. Yeah, we're practicing yeah. when you're giving some service. And how much emotion comes oh, up. Man. Yeah. The amount of times that I feel just tingles on my body when tears flow in my eyes when during a worship sessions beyond. And those are releases. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. are releases. Um, yeah. Bhakti yoga is beautiful. Um, I was able to do a scholarly bhakti training. Um, it wasn't much on the actual chanting of mantras or learning different mantras, although that's something I do in my personal practice and I enjoy it a lot. It was the studying of the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. So um, bhakti yoga is a beautiful practice. And again, in my opinion, that would be more of a devotional where you're using the heart 
to transcend or using acts of service um, or a devotional service of some sort um, to transcend mm. the mind or to transcend the karma or to transcend whatever it is that's blocking you from gaining that state of liberation or contentedness. Mm. Um, so it's a beautiful practice as well. Mm. One thing co comes up about what you're sharing just in general throughout this whole conversation, Chris, and it's yeah. so cool. There's, I get a deep sense of curiosity from you and a deep sense of commitment. And I think if I were to take that for myself in my life, it would open up different areas to continuously be curious because there are things that I think I know. Mm -hmm. There are areas where my cup is full. And while I put so much time to filling up this cup, what, if, what would happen if I were to empty out the cup? What is available that I right now can't get in because the cup is full? Right. And it's this whole world of the unknown, mm -hmm. right? There's so much more. And that's why one thing that's always been so important to me is that I'm always practicing. So, I mean, there's been times in the past where, you know, my teaching schedule became too strenuous and I wasn't able to practice. So I had to cut down on how much I was teaching because mm -hmm. I feel like we always should be practicing, um, you know, it, always learning, mm -hmm. always studying, um, always looking to to gain more from the next person mm. um, because we all have different experiences and we all offer different things. Um, you know, and I feel like once you get to a point where you feel like you've learned it all or that you've arrived somewhere, it, that's the ego, mm. you know, that's the spiritual ego that is um, masking the truth yet again. And that's the very first obstacle on our path is coming from a place of not seeing into seeing. And that requires an ability to one, admit that you have an ego, <laughs> um, which I think is really challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and what is the ego? Mm. <laughs> that's for another conversation. That's, a that's, not, that's another episode. That's such a that's such a layered question. Um, we don't have to answer. It's too late. The ego is. I feel like. A protective force, a protective force, or it, it's, it masks itself as being a protective force. Um, it's basically our defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, there's so many different ways to look at it. I would say that it's our defense mechanisms. It's like our lifetime building up of how do I protect myself from this experience that I don't want to experience? Mm -hmm. And there's all these layers of how it does it, right? So, um, you know, it, it, it will in a situation where you're feeling shamed, it will it will make you make yourself able to make yourself really small so that way nobody sees you or it makes you think that no one's gonna see you. Or if you're feeling like you need to be really big and, and it will it will blow, it will inflate you and blow you up. So it, it does all these different things that in the moment make us feel safe, but mm -hmm. they also take us further away from our truth. Um, it's this false sense of identity. It's this um, you know alternative persona that has been created over time that we think is who we are but really it's it's not who we like are you say it's just a bunch of beliefs yeah false beliefs um patterns behavioral patterns thinking patterns um i think it has a lot to do with like the other parts of our brain like our more like um mammal and our reptilian brain that's just like okay what do i need to do right now you know to to, to save myself like you know, it's that fight or flight type of like, you know, reactions. It's that more instinctual, animalistic type of survival mode of like, how do I, you know, make it through this right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, 
Which also has its place because I mean, if someone it does if someone's about to be attacked and they don't that doesn't kick in, then they won't take any action. Someone's gonna go to the bathroom and they don't take yeah, action, that's and right. the chair's gonna be wet soon. So I think there's there's it's not being run by it it's to be able to understand. Oh, there is this thing that's not trying to protect myself. When I think of the ego, I think of like a baby in a high chair. He knows exactly what to do to get his parents to do something. Right. Always. Yeah. He wants their attention. He cries. Yeah. He takes food, throws it, throws on the ground. Daddy picks it back up, does it again on the other side now. It's like it's so good at getting the things that, to, to your point, if it needs to be quiet, it'll quiet, but too much. If it needs to get loud, it'll boast too much. Yeah. Can we keep that balance of being able to say? And I do think that there's like a healthy amount of pride or a healthy amount of ego. Mm. Um, like you don't want to be so shamed and so, you know, you know, overly compassionate that you become a doormat. You know, like, I feel like there's that healthy level of, like, ego and pride where it's like, you know what, I'm too good for this. You know, like, I deserve better. You know, not in that you're this entitled person that is just better than everyone else, but, like, you know what, I'm not going to accept that for myself because I deserve more, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So for people who hope that answered. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it definitely doesn't exist. It's a good one, especially at towards the end of the conversation. Yeah. Some right. I like to throw curveballs. I knew it was coming. I'm like trying to think before this. I'm like, what is she going to ask me that like, I'm not expecting. No, but you answered it beautifully. And this whole conversation has been, I'm excited to go back and re-listen and literally take notes because even for myself, I see different layers because like coming undone even simply in this conversation. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. you. And and just to kind of put a little cherry on the cake, um, I was just thinking in my mind as you were talking, so this would be a perfect example of what I would say is the ego. So as you were, <laughs> as you were talking to me, I was listening to you. You know, was I active listening? I was listening and I heard what you said, but in my mind, my, my little, that little voice in my mind was like, yeah, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna listen to this and go back and listen to it too. And I'm like, an ill. My voice is gonna sound so annoying. No, this is what I was thinking about. Yeah. So I was listening to you, and I'm here, but I'm not really present because I'm mm. listening to that voice in my head, and that's the ego. And it's like, I'm gonna go back and listen to this just to see how annoying my voice sounds, mm. and and look at all the things that I said that I'm like, oh God, that sounded stupid. So that's the ego, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the ego that feels that it needs to be a certain way or sound a certain way and be perfect. Yeah. That unrealistic, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the whole point of this is to realize that no, you don't want to destroy your ego. And it's like, yes, you want to be aware of it. And that's that's the beauty of it. It's like knowing that it's there mm-hmm. and becoming conscious to the thoughts. Make it your friends. Yeah. So one of my favorite um, slokas or, you know, verses in the Bhagavad Gita is um 6.5 so and this one really stuck with me and it's um it's a mantra it's meant to be chanted so um it basically it's translated into um may our minds be elevated and may we never degrade ourselves because the mind can be your friend or the mind can be your enemy Mm. and that is just for me like you know what you're saying right now is like how can i use this to my to work with me yeah to work in a way that benefits me instead of letting it be you know something of my demise wow wow how open would you be to sharing that sh- that chant to sing it now yeah i'll sing it oh, that's yeah. yeah okay
If you are in the Florida area, the South Florida area, and you're wanting to explore yoga, you must check out Chris's classes. Oh, thank you. So where can someone come to your class? So um, you can check out on the Instagram, Atta Yoga Shala. Um, you can check out the website for the schedule. Um, but I teach every day. <laughs> and Atta is the only place you teach at? Or do you teach Currently, right now. Yeah, and I'm teaching one class in Fort Lauderdale, the old Anatara, a Raja class at 2.30s on Saturdays. Um, but mostly I teach in Delray. Yeah. Beautiful. We'll tag you also in the show notes. People can find you directly. Thank you. What is it? Oh, thank well, you. Well, we'll tag you in the show notes oh, okay. so people find you directly. Yeah, yeah. So just plug in because obviously to, you just got at the end, the fact that somebody can just like that sit and sing Sanskrit, which by the way is a language that is meant to be sung and it has a deep profound experiences on the human body from the person listening, the person emanating it. So thank you for that because that was a gift. Mm-hmm. For someone to do that on the spot like that shows the devotion that they have to practice. And it's such an honor and a pleasure to be connected to you, to be able to learn from you, to be able to walk side by side by you to be able to experience you in your essence. And I'm grateful that God, I'll say God, put me in the position to be able to share this conversation with you. Thank you. And I'm so excited to see what's next for you. I love you both so much. Thank you so much for this. I'm very grateful. And um, thank you for providing the space for us to get together and to just talk about things that we love and that passionately, that we feel passionately about. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe to stay updated on future episodes. And we would love to know how you enjoyed today's episode by leaving us a review. We look forward to continuing this journey of self-discovery and connection with you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Much love.